Joining me today is a student, an activist, and the director of high school outreach for Turning Point USA, Kyle Kashuv, welcome to The Rubin Report. Thanks for having me on. I am excited to have you here. We've met a couple times. We've done some events together. You are seemingly wise beyond your years. <laughs> Thanks. So, all right, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Thank yeah, you. all right, let's get to it. Well, actually, I mean, in, in a weird way, I guess you've been, you've been sort of thrust into being wise beyond your years. You were obviously a, a survivor of the Parkland shooting. Uh, as you know, I had your classmate, Cameron Kasky, on a couple weeks ago, and he kind of laid out uh, what happened to him that day and subsequently everything that's happened. So let's just start there because that's kind of what put you on the map. Okay. Uh, so to preface it, um, I, don't like to, I don't like to refer myself as a survivor because I wasn't in the building that was shot into. And I think that, you know, it cheapens the pain and tragedy of the people who were in the building. Uh, so what happened with me that day, it was fourth period. Uh, I, I was in, I was in uh, my fourth period class uh, and all of a sudden the alarms uh, ring. So we go into the hallway. Uh, and we're walking out, and we hear two like two little uh, pops. I don't know if two textbooks fell, you know, fire fireworks. I really had no idea. So we run back, uh, and I go and reach for for the uh, the door to my classroom, and, and the uh, the teacher locked it. So we go into a nearby room. We get in there, and we just hide uh, for two hours straight. We just hear pops and ambulances uh, in the distance. So that was the uh, freshman building, and the entire time we had no idea what was going on, uh, and then. All throughout the entire time, people uh, immediately are just villainizing guns. You know, the second we got, out, the second I got out of the uh, the closet that I was in, kids were like, "We have to ban AR-15s." Yeah, wait, uh, let, let's not jump into the political part. Yeah, because so, it's like, because it's interesting. Just listening to you hear about that, it's almost like the way you were describing it. It almost sounds like you weren't even there. Like it's just like a story that you were telling in a in a bizarre way. So once. Okay, so all of this happens. You find out now there there are dead students. I mean, did you have friends yeah, that were so, killed and, and all that? So we get out of the, we get out of the closet. SWAT takes us out. They put their you know AR-15s in our faces, take us out. We have to put our hands on the person in front of us walking outside. Uh, and all throughout this, the most disgusting thing was every single corner of the entire block surrounding us was just filled with media cars. It was just like jam packed. And what I saw there was that whenever there was like someone crying or like a moment of pain, the media would just surround them and encapsulate mm -hmm. them. Uh, and I, I, I got home and I was really hoping that this wouldn't be like a politicized spectacle with like mass, uh, you know, media jumping the gun to everything. Uh, and sadly that was the case. So when I was like sitting there in shock, seeing the numbers rise on the screens for the death count, it was like so insane to internalize like what had just occurred because like everyone's always, you know, this will never happen to my school. How could this happen to my school? Uh, and the sad reality is it can happen to any school. Like, I mean, Stoneman Douglas was in the most affluent, low crime, you know, city, I think, in like southern Florida. Mm -hmm. And this happened at our school. Did you know some of the kids that were killed? Yeah, I, I knew one girl, Helena. Uh, she was in a class of mine a year back. Yeah. So what kind of time did you guys have to grieve? Because that, you're, you're already alluding to this. But it was like, it was as if the event happened, the shooting happened, and then it seemingly there was no grieving, and then you guys were all over the television, you were all over Twitter, you had all political people using you guys in all sorts of different ways. Just tell me a little bit about just kind of the grieving and trying to be able to be, how old are you now? 17. You're 17, trying to be 16, 15, 16, 17 year old kids, trying to just survive something unimaginably horrible. Yeah, I don't know how freshmen and sophomores like, have managed to go through this. Like I'm, I'm at least, a I was a junior at the time, so I, I knew the school a little bit better and like somewhat of my self-esteem was a little more build up more and a little bit more mature. Uh, but there was absolutely like no time to grieve whatsoever. Like a few days after the shooting, they already bust us up to Tallahassee to, you know, kind of like push to like tug on the emotional heartstrings of Republicans to pass legislation that they otherwise wouldn't have passed. Who, who's they in that equation? So there were some uh, members uh, in, in the Florida Senate uh, that like personally like coordinated buses um, from Parkland to Tallahassee. Yeah, and what were your parents saying, or the friends, you know, friends' parents, like, it just seemed like the parents were almost gone. Now, now there are some of the parents that are a little more high profile that I, that I see, but it was as if you guys were just like taken. That's what it felt like. Suddenly we're seeing you on CNN and town halls, and I wanna talk a little bit about that, mm -hmm. but just like, that you were just used all over the place, not even having a moment to just digest what happened. So, so here's how, I don't think that necessarily so, so here's what I think would happen. I think that the kids saw what happened, they were shocked as they should be, and they decided to act. 
Like we said, this can't happen to anyone else ever again. Let's do something. You know, what, what really occurred is that the mainstream media jumped, jumped on this immediately uh, and just like put it to like a national scale and, and really used it to push a gun control agenda. And that's why I started speaking out, because I wanted to represent the other side of Stone Douglas who doesn't believe in gun control. Yeah, so just tell me a little bit about you in high school before this. Yeah, like, like we've what, jumped a yeah, lot. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah what, what, what was Kyle Kashuv like before this? Because I know you sort of as a political beast now and like a wickedly incisive Twitterer and like, you know, you've put on events that I've been part of and, I, and you're incredibly organized and connecting with great people and all that stuff. But just tell me about the kid before that day. So I'll give you all the recap. Yeah. So I'll give you the story of my life. In the like a life short story, two let's yeah. go. Yeah. So, uh, so my parents uh, came from Israel. Uh, they immigrated here. My dad, my mom served in the IDF. Uh, they came here with nothing, worked their way up. Uh, and then when I, was, when I was at home, they taught me Hebrew and English. So we only spoke Hebrew at home, so I'm fluent in Hebrew. Uh, and they put me through school, and I was always the shortest kid in the grade. So I was like, always like, I was just like even shorter than the shortest girl in my grade. I was like super short. And <laughs> uh-huh. like, what was it? In like, in like eighth grade, I was four foot eight. I was like legally a midget Whoa. in eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I got bullied a lot. Like I try not to have a victimhood mentality because I don't think it's, it's successful. And I think you agree with me on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was always bullied and I was always extreme. I was always smart. So that kind of went back on me a little bit. <laughs> but I was always bullied a lot and it built up my self-esteem. Uh, in addition, I was always like taking the, the uh, hardest classes. My parents would always push me to take the hardest classes possible. Um, so at Douglas, before all this, uh, you know, I had somewhat of, I had a good social life. Uh, so I would basically I would go to school, do my AP classes, go home, play video games till like 10, 10 p.m., start homework to like start homework, you know, and then finish it at 2 a.m. and uh-huh. then have like five hours of sleep. Jeez. So that was my cycle. It was terrible. Yeah. But I was like super addicted to video games. And then the shooting happens and just turned my entire life upside down. So it completely changed me. So at that moment, you know, I had to become much more mature. I, had, I was living in the adult world. You know, I had responsibilities. There were things I had to do. You know, I had to act a proper certain way. And, you know... Uh, Did you have any particular political beliefs before all this? Because you're definitely, in terms of at least the, the kids or the young people that are public about uh-huh. all of this now that have come out of Stoneman Douglas... I mean, you definitely are the one that seem, at least that I know of, is, is the furthest right that has sort of embraced conservatism and all that. Did, is that where you were politically? So Did here's you the thing think about, about any Here's of the that? thing about me. Um, my parents aren't political at all whatsoever, so all my political beliefs I've developed myself. Uh, and how I develop every single political belief is just I look at it straight from a rational, logical point of view with no emotions whatsoever. I think you can guess I'm not an emotional person. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I think with, with legislative decisions, you have to put emotion as far out of it as possible. You have to do policies that, that actually solve the problem, not just make you feel good. So I'm, I'm really not, a, not for like feel-good policies. Yeah. I, but I, did you care about politics at all before any of this, or is this new sense? Yeah, I, I did care. In the 2016 election, I was, I was somewhat into it. After the election, I kind of didn't care as much. But I was always like somewhat of a Second Amendment supporter. Um, yeah, but when I, when I started speaking out, so what's really interesting, when I started speaking out, uh, it was like a tidal wave of opposition. You know, I had my school was against me. Some would seem like that. You know, all my peers were against me. And I try not to do a victim mentality, but I just want to paint the picture of how it actually was. And yeah. it seemed like the community, the mainstream media, my friends, you know, it seemed like I was going against every single opposition. You know, I was scared, like, this could, this could ruin my life. But, you know, I believed in what I was doing, and I just powered through it. Uh, and, and just really, I just stuck to my beliefs and didn't let anyone... Tell me otherwise, because you know when I was so when I was in Tallahassee, uh, when they were pushing Republican legislators to, to enact gun control legislation, I said, "Look, gun control isn't going to solve the problem. I want to solve the problem. Okay, I want to make sure that school school shootings never happen. What can I do to actually make that happen? And what can I do while protecting the Second Amendment? Because I actually believe it's one of the most fundamental rights of Americans. So while I was there, I started speaking out." and nobody cared. Like, I would go to reporters and nobody cared. So I had to forcefully, you know, like talk to reporters, say, hey, look, I'm a conservative, can I reach out? And then I, I managed to get uh, Leland Vitter, uh, a contact with Leland Vitter at Fox. And I went on Fox and I did an interview. 
And then Ben Shapiro saw it and it blew up. But all the while... That, that's the first time I remember seeing it. Yeah, and all yeah. the while there was this extreme opposition. Um, and the entire thing that I've, well, I've always had... Sorry, what are you no, Well, I just want to know, what do you... Because I know you, you kind of mock the media the way I do now on, on Twitter and just sort of what mainstream media has become and that they're really activists and not journalists and that whole thing. Um, but were you shocked when you were going up to them and going, you know, I'm a conservative or I want to defend the Second Amendment, but I'm a, I'm a student from this school. And they're just... Bl- blatantly ignoring you or even I know this is minor but like I remember when a bunch of you guys were all verified on Twitter at once I was but you weren't yeah and it was and like that, you that were the outlier with, with Instagram as well it took me like three months after everyone else yeah and I'm not saying that that it doesn't really mean it doesn't matter in and of itself yeah. but it is it is a symptom of sort of the broader situation going on here with tech companies and media and all that like were they flat out ignoring you like you saw them interviewing people and then so here was here, here here's what occurred uh the main organizers of that that you see like with a solid group of like the March for Our Live kids. Yeah. At this point they had solidified a clique and they wouldn't let anyone new or with a, a different opposing view into it. So I said I have to take matters into my own hand. And in addition, when we were in Tallahassee, I realized that the mainstream media is just doing this for clicks. Cause can we think about it? When mass shooting occurs, the mainstream media loves it. Like they get great coverage, they get great amount of views. They do. Um, I'll switch, I'll talk to like notoriety in addition after this, but Mm -hmm. I saw that when someone, there was a girl crying in Tallahassee, and the second she cried, just she got sworn by reporters, and I saw that they were just looking for for clicks and for headlines, Um, and I realized that they're really, they're not in it for the right reasons, and they're not going to listen to a rational, a rational young kid like me. Okay. Yeah. So in addition, I also realized that there was an extreme amount of just people were just benefiting off of this so much. Um, So after the shooting, we realized that a lot of this occurred because the shooter, who I I try not to say his name ever, because I think that gives him to notoriety. Doesn't matter. They 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 would they would post. So here's what Time did. So the video of the shooter where he basically says, you know, I'm going to be the next school shooter of 2018. Uh, I want 20 people. And he basically says, you're all going to see me on the news. So, and then Time Magazine puts this video up on YouTube. It gets 3.6 million views. Mm. The same thing with all the other videos. You know, CNN talked about this exact clip and basically just still showed it on air. Yeah. So the entire thing what the mainstream media is doing is that they're basically, they're just benefiting off the situation. And what they don't realize is they're perpetuating the issue and making it worse. That's why I think Daily Wire, uh, Ben is doing a great decision with not showing their names and faces because it's an ethical decision. Yeah. Now I don't think government should impose on on you know on the mainstream media to not allow to show their faces, but I think it's an ethical and moral decision that people should be taking up. Yeah. So just to be totally clear, so after this shooting, that was when Ben announced he's the editor yeah, the of the Daily Wire. They are no longer going to yeah, show days, their names. Yeah. Or a pictures. few days after. Yeah. So. Okay, so you started to see this this issue with the media that they're ignoring people like you and they're sort of making other people stars and they're going for the clicks and all of that. What about, you know, I, I don't want to make this about people per se, but so that, that little click of, of kids that then was all over the media and was getting retweeted by every celebrity and all of that, were you trying to reach out to them at all and just have that discussion or was it just very clear that Oh no, yeah, that absolutely, that and happen? I still try to have that discussion. You know, when they first started speaking out, I said, oh my God, that's great, someone's speaking out. And originally when the movement started, speak, when it started, you know, you remember Cameron Kasky was on, on the car shouting, the movement wasn't an anti-gun movement, it was an anti-school shooting movement. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey guys, this is quickly, I just, I was like, I gave them a warning, guys, it looks like you're moving to the direction of an anti-gun movement. And I don't think that's beneficial at all. So here's my point of view. And I tried communicating and I, and I tried speaking. Uh, and they really didn't care in allowing me. So I said, okay, I have to go solo. And that's what I've been doing. But I, I've, I've always been open to discussion and open debate. I think it's one of the great things of our country where you can have you know, open discussion uh, and just free expression of ideas. That's why I think the Kanye thing is somewhat great. Because <laughs> regardless of what you think of the person or celebrity, um, I'm, I'm, not in, I'm not in favor of propping up celebrities and their political opinions simply because they're famous, but you don't need a lot of political expertise to say that I believe in free expression and free thought. Right, that's, that shouldn't be a really controversial position to be, to be staking out. All right, so you mentioned Cameron, and you know I had him on the show a couple yeah. of weeks ago. He's going through a very interesting evolution right now. I suspect I can figure out where this is going to end up, which actually be much closer to your position than the position that he's sort of at right now because I just... 
continually see that as the evolution of things, the more that he understands rights and all of those things, but I was happy to hear his thoughts and all that. And look, he sat down with me, he sat down with Shapiro, and I think he'll continue to do that. Um, have you guys been able to make any peace with some of this yeah, stuff? Or, or you must at least be enjoying the fact that somebody's kind of coming around to No, I think, I think Cam's a good guy. I think that what we're seeing right now is that he's matured. I mean, we've all made, so me, me and Cam have gone through like the same political slash media you know, experience so we can understand each other. Uh, what happened with Cam is like, look, we've all made mistakes. We've all said stuff we don't want to, but he's matured and I've also matured. Uh, and what I see, what I think is happening with Cam, is it's the natural progression of just having logical thought instead of emotions. And I think logic and facts moves you towards the political beliefs of being a conservative. Okay, so all of this happens. I think the the sort of rock bottom of this was that CNN town hall. That was terrible. Um, yeah, just share your thoughts on that. So here's what happened with the CNN town hall. So a lot of the kids that you saw there were actually flown in on a private jet from Tallahassee. So already at the time of the town hall, there was a solidified group click of, of the kids that you see now, and they won't let anything in, so they actually flew these kids on a private jet from Tallahassee uh, to the town hall. And right there, it, it, was, it was just simply, they were just, it, it was an anti-gun debate, and they were just villainizing Rubio and Dana Lash for things that had nothing into their control yeah. whatsoever. It wasn't their fault. And Marco Rubio was villainized to such an extreme extent, and he's one of the best senators. Uh, so you've now connected with Rubio. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate it because p when people say that politicians just don't care, it's just so wrong. I mean, politicians, they do care. Um, and, you know, he was one of the greatest supporters of the Stop School Violence Act that we got passed. Um, and he just helped push it. And, look, these senators don't want this to occur to anyone. And just saying that politicians want this to happen is just wrong. Do you have any thoughts on uh, what actually happened that day in terms of security or what should have happened or should have, shouldn't have happened? Because even now when you go back and listen, depending on where you're getting your news from this, it sounds, you know, they either stepped down or they didn't go in or this or that or the other thing. And it's like, well, well, what, what should have happened in, in the ideal world that, that you want to create and the system that you want to create to protect this, these schools from not having this happen again? Um, what, what should have happened that day? What we saw in my school was simply and utterly just massive incompetence and failure of law enforcement. You know, the sh the, so the shooter was flagged multiple times by the school, by the school administration. They knew he had mental issues. He was put into the Promise program. Um, and they knew that this kid was a threat. There were 76 times the police, there were 76 times the police came to his house. There were two FBI reports. They knew that this kid was a threat. And the law enforcement was completely incompetent at that level. And they didn't do absolutely anything. Everyone knew this kid was an issue. What happened at the school was, was just utter incompetence in addition. So when he gets on campus, okay, he just makes a straight beeline for the freshman building. And at the exact same time, we had a school resource officer who, who, who heard the gunfire and came, and he just hid in a corner while kids were dying. And then three unarmed individuals rushed to save, three, three unarmed went to the building and died trying to save kids. What we should have had, and this is why I push for it, the only way to stop a shooter who is active on campus is to have other people who are armed. The only way to stop, it's not a cliche, the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And in addition to that, there's the entire idea of a gun-free gun -free zone. It is utterly stupid. Yeah. It is just completely stupid. All it's doing is enticing a target, saying, look, you go here, so here's, here's what's the school. The average response time from a police station to a school nationally is 15 minutes. The average time a school shooting happens is five minutes. That means the shooter has 15 minutes to do whatever he wants if the school is a gun-free zone. So here's what I'm saying. At least allow teachers who have gone through the proper training, you know, ex-military, um, ex-law enforcement, to be armed. Because what that does is it sends not only a message as a deterrent to a shooter that says, look, this school is armed. If you get in here, your brains are going to be blown out. It also says that, that the, school is in a gun -free, the school is no longer a gun-free zone. 
So I'm, I'm with you partly on that. So what I would maybe, and maybe you can explain this a little bit further. So I don't know that I want guns in those classrooms, even if it's so here's a, a license. Here's the interesting yeah. thing. There are 25 states where teachers can be armed and are armed in schools. Mm -hmm. And all the hypotheticals that are pronounced, it's like, you know, what if a teacher shoots a student when there's another, like, like what if there's mm -hmm. a school shooter and a teacher gets shot and there's a gun on the floor, what does a student do? It's, these hypotheticals don't happen. 25 states where teachers are already armed and it works. So why not just have them have security guards at specific uh, no, locations outside? So here's the thing, I'm all for having security guards. This yeah. entire issue is how do we best manage our funds and secure our schools? The mm -hmm. thing with law enforcement officers is that they cost a lot of money and impoverished schools already need that funding for, for materials. And in addition, it does not take a lot of training and a lot of money to have a teacher to be armed, and this has already been proven to work. And in addition, when you have teachers who are armed, the shooter doesn't know who it is. If, you, if it's a law enforcement officer, you can clearly see who it is. So if you have one resource officer, school resource officer who's armed, the shooter comes and takes out the school resource officer, and then they're free to do whatever. Yeah. But it's simply, so here's the thing, simply giving teachers to have the opportunity has a massive effect because it's up to their own will to do so. They have to go through training, and they have to, it's a concealed carry. So nobody knows they have them. So as you said before, you, you like facts and logic, okay? Yeah, like, you, strictly facts. Facts no don't feelings. care about your feelings. I All right, that. I got you. That, that, that works. When, when you've engaged some of your friends and, and other students about these ideas, I mean, everyone watching this at this point knows that so much of what's coming out of the modern left is about feelings and all mm -hmm. these things. Do you have a sense that they understand that young people, at least the ones you're talking to, understand like what rights are, what, why, why we should care about these things, why free speech matters, why the Second Amendment matters, and, and things of that nature? So, or does it all just sound good to them and there's a... It's, uh, that's pretty much it. It makes them feel good. You know, what they push, it makes them feel good by their emotions. It makes sense. So here's the thing. I am very scared of lowering the age for people to vote to be 15. Like, that scares me because the kids that I know who are 15 know absolutely nothing about politics. I think I know, like, the kids from the March for Our Lives better than, I think I know their own arguments better than they know their own arguments. Like, I can argue yeah. for them better than they can do. So, I strictly use facts only. Um, so, when I make an argument with them, I can already know what they're going to do next. So, here's how, I'll give you, like, a 10-minute or 5-minute recap sure. of basically how I premise the Second Amendment argument. Yeah. In America we have the right to bear arms. In D.C. versus Heller, that right rule that an individual's right to bear arms doesn't mean the militia. The militia clause is different from the individual right to bear arms. That means that you personally have the right to arm yourself. Okay, there are about 270 million guns in the United States. 15 million of those are AR-15s. So we look at the gun stats, there are 33,000 uh, annual gun deaths. 66%, so two-thirds, uh, are suicides. So it leaves us with 11,000 gun deaths. Uh, so we have to, so in addition, I put in parentheses, there's a difference between a homicide and a murder. So a homicide is, is just a killing, a murder is an unlawful killing. And gun stats, a lot of them like to perverse this into skew statistics. So 3% of all gun deaths are with rifles. Okay, and in that 3%, 68% of those are suicides. So 1% of all gun deaths are actual uh, murders or actually, sorry, yeah, or actually murders with rifles. 80% uh, of all gun crime related activity is with illegal firearms. Uh, most school, most shootings are with pistols. So, so the March for Lives has five bullet points. Uh, one of them is, like, I'll talk about, I like to talk about the CDC, and we should allow the CDC to do research. The issue with that is the CDC has already proven to skew the statistics and, and to not actually provide good research. What, what research is it that they want the so CDC to do? The CDC used to be able to do research on, on gun violence prevention and just figure out what's going on, but it's been proven time and time again that they skew their statistics. So the federal government was like, no, we're not allowing you to perpetuate a false myth. Uh, so a myth. Uh, so basically they stopped funding. The next thing is that they want high capacity magazines. Uh, there is no distinction, there, there is no difference that shows that high capacity magazines, whatever that means, can do more damage than simply having more like clips, mm -hmm. um, just, having smaller, just having larger clips but less of them. There's no distinction that it actually does more damage. But the next thing that they want to do is ban semi-auto rifles. As I've said before, only 3% of all gun deaths are with rifles, so banning them does absolutely nothing. Addressing the issue and lowering uh, gun violence is making sure that we have 
uh, making sure that we have more people who are armed, because there's a direct uh, correlation, not causation, but correlation, that when we increase firearm um, ownership and concealed carry permits in addition, um, violent crime goes down. So the next thing they like to propose is what about Great Britain and Australia? So in Great Britain there was a, there was a ban on guns, and immediately after violent crime spiked, uh, and in addition you have armed robberies um, increase, so violent crime increased immediately after, and burglaries in Great Britain, 60% uh, of them occur when the, the individual's at home versus 13% in the U.S. So uh. burglars have admitted that they do this because they know that the person will have like their purse or, or whatever and they won't, they'll be unarmed. So violent crime spiked. The next thing is they say, hey Kyle, what about the Australian gun buy program? So already in Australia when, when the program was initiated, there was already statistical zero uh, for uh, you know, gun death and, and, and public, mass public school shootings. Um, so in addition, when the buyback gets implemented, there already were like, there were millions, millions less guns in Australia than there were now. So the gun buyback goes in, only one third of guns get taken. Uh, and what we saw immediately after the buyback was that violent crime spiked. So here's just the basic argument. There has not been one single occurrence where gun control gets passed and, and, and gun deaths, no, sorry, gun homicides actually decreases at a faster rate. In Australia, the gun the homicide rate was already decreasing at a really good rate. Mm -hmm. It gets past the gun control and th the rate stalls. So it actually hurt. Uh, in addition, immediately after it was passed, the violent crime rates go up and the national trend was going down. So the gun buyback program was completely ineffective, did absolutely nothing, and then it, it, it failed on such a huge level in Australia that implementing it in the U.S. with 270 million guns simply won't work. All right, so let's shift the discussion a little bit to the NRA, because that was yeah. the other part of this that during the, the town hall and the subsequent discussions, that it got very confused as to what the NRA actually does, what do they want to do, what are the people who uh, don't like them think they do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so first off, just give me your position on, on the NRA generally. I think the NRA is a fantastic organization that defends the rights, the right to bear arms of individuals thing with the NRA is that they really don't have the money influence that people say they do. All they have is the social influence. Republican senators know that the base believes in the values that the NRA promotes and defends. And they understand that. And if they go against the NRA, they're going against their own constituents. The NRA does not have a big budget. They really don't. They, they're not like this like super powerful, like that they directly control senators and congressmen with their money. They control it with their ideals. Mm -hmm. What the NRA does, which is fantastic, is it provides a check from, like, the, from the public, not, not from the government, for defending our right to bear arms. And it's fantastic. You know, it, it helped, I think, with the case with McDonald's versus Chicago that helped bolster uh, Second Amendment rights for individuals. I mean, and the NRA does, does, does a great job. Their NRA ILA program, which is actually the legislative branch, on defending the Second Amendment does a fantastic job. I think right now they're taking a case against raising the age from 18 to 21. There was, right after the shooting, uh, Rick Scott signed into law in Florida raising the age to buy, I think, a firearm, a rifle now. So before, before uh, you couldn't buy a handgun if you were under 21, but you could buy a rifle because handguns were used in violent crimes. Mm. Whether I think that's right or not, that's a separate discussion, but he raised the age from 18 to 21 to buy a rifle, and directly the, the NRA was like, this is unconstitutional. Boom, we put in a lawsuit. Just to address that 18 to, to 21 age, uh, there is absolutely no evidence that raising the age does absolutely does, does anything to, uh, to lower um, gun homicide whatsoever. So what do you think about the certain set of people that think that if we could just have all of the right laws or if we could just manage everything properly that everything would be fine? The thing is... Because it doesn't take into account human behavior. We have behavior. all the laws that we need already on the books. The thing is the enforcement doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So I'll just make a tangent. I'll get back to here. I think it is utterly hypocritical that the left hates Trump and they, that he's in power but then they're saying we have to trust the government more. So if you think the government, right. if you think Trump is literally Hitler, why are you giving away your right to wear bare arms to this tyrannical government? Mm -hmm. um, what was the question again? <laughs> well, just that there's a certain set of people that think if we just have oh, the yeah. right laws. I got you. So yeah. we already have the, 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 the laws on the books. You know, just the enforcement the enforcement is what needs to occur. Like the Lautenberg Amendment means that it says that domestic abusers cannot have a firearm. That's already on the books, it just needs to be enforced. There's the issue with um, 
you know, the Knicks background check program where they say we need more time to to evaluate uh, and give you back your background check in order to buy a weapon. The issue is the government doesn't need more time, it just needs more of the records. Mm -hmm. So the reason why the Texas Sutherland shooting occurred was because I think it was some military branch where there was someone who were, he, he committed a violation and by law they, sh they, he, they should have transferred that over to the database and therefore he wouldn't have been able to buy a weapon but the records weren't transferred, he was able to buy a weapon and he shot up the church. So the government just needs t to get all the records and do their job. Same thing with red flag laws. Um, and people like to talk about this. This is a little bit more of the trickier areas of this, but red flag laws basically say that someone can flag you and then you get reviewed and then you can get your gun taken away. Uh, and a lot of people also like, so the issue with red flag gun laws is that it's all about government enforcement and, and that's, that's, that's the issue. And there's also the big issue where people like to talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. And they say, you know, mentally ill people shouldn't be able to acquire a weapon. So I have talked to countless individuals about this, and I should ask Peterson, but I forgot to. The question is, how do you determine when someone is mentally ill enough and hits the threshold so they cannot have a weapon, and nobody knows? And in addition, the thing with the shooter at my school, looking retroactively, we can say this kid was mentally insane, but I don't know if a court would, would adjudicate that he would actually be mentally insane by, by law, therefore taking his gun away. Yeah, so is the inherent problem here, do you think, that you cannot manage all of these things. You can do the best you can to have some sensible laws around them and defend our right to bear arms and all of that and make sure schools are taken care of, but that generally speaking, yes, there's a sort of sliding scale psychologically, but also that the people that want to do bad will find ways to do bad. They're not yes. the ones that are walking out and looking at a building and it says, oh, no guns here, yes, I'm not gonna walk in with a gun. Criminals will act like criminals, no matter what. But the good thing is, is that our laws are working. I mean, I think it's violent crime or some rate from the 1990s to 2010 has decreased by 50%. And, and, pub and schools are safer now than they were 20 years ago. Like school shooting rates are declining and homicide rate, gun homicide rates are declining and the homicide rates are declining. So we are becoming a more peaceful nation. And a lot of that has to do with having more gun owners and to having more you know, concealed carry permit owners because those people, when, when there's a shooting, those people are the first responders. I think it's wrong to say that, oh, we'll just let the police arrive after the crime has been committed. No, you need people there immediately to stop the shooter. That's why I'm all for having teachers and armed school officers at schools to immediately take down the shooter. All right, so let, let's shift. I mean, I don't think we're gonna fully get away from guns here, but let's shift a little bit. Okay. What is it like to be a 17-year-old right now that's in the mix of this, that's now a public person? Dude, it's crazy. Yeah, to it's just crazy. be part of this this oddly unique time where it feels like the adults have lost the plot and it's gotta be very hard for you to find people that kind of make sense. I think you've been able to find a couple of them, but just to be 17 in this very odd political cultural time. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> That's it, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. Like, but what, does it feel unique to you? I know you haven't lived through this before, but like. The, the I don't know how to judge it. Well, yeah. well, all I know is that I'm an adult now, and I have to act like an adult. Whether whether I'm 17 or 18, I have commit like commitments that I make. I have to go through with them, and I've just my maturity. I've like forced to become mature. Like I can no longer play video games and waste time. There's things that I have to do, but I've just been so blessed to find a solid group of people who actually care about me and want the best for me. Like like Ben and Charlie and Guy Benson people who have just reached out to me and have just selflessly helped me navigate this political minefield. But it's crazy because like, all the people that I lo looked up to like two years ago and like would watch their videos, like, not, gonna, not trying to like boast your ego here, but right. I, used, I, I would watch your show. <laughs> <laughs> Please, continue. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's awesome that now I can reach out for their expertise. The thing with me is that I, I always like to start with, look, I don't know anything. And I, I'm always looking to get more information to know more like today. I had a call with, with a gun expert um, on the way here. And it's like, what more can I learn in order to be like fully fluent and, and, and knowledgeable about the subject that I'm talking about? And there are a bunch of stuff that I don't know about and I'm constantly trying to learn.
So when you see a guy, and again, I don't like making this about people rather than ideas, but when you see uh, a guy like David Hogg out there, and he clearly is taking just the progressive line on this, and he seems more to me to be sort of a progressive activist than sort of a, a, a fair arbiter of what's going on here. Um, that's gotta be frustrating for you, that he's so public about this, I suppose. Somewhat, that. Some, well, that you obviously probably disagree with him on on a hundred percent of the policy parts this, this is true yeah I don't want to make it about the personal parts but that he's thought of as sort of a media hero and you're kind of the black sheep of, of this group I mean maybe not to the to the Shapiro's and me and whoever else I get I mean, what you're saying yeah. so here so here's what I say there is no issue that kids are on television the issue is is that when someone is spouting policy, they are, they are no longer a child. They are pushing policy and they should be treated as every adult as such. When you say something outrageous, you should be called out on that. I remember there was a segment, with it was on CNN, where he, he said something completely outlandish uh, and there was no blowback. So look, here's what well, I said. Well, I think, was that the line about Marco Rubio wants to kill kids? Or something, or something like that. It was something just that crazy. Yeah. So what I say is when I'm pushing policy and I say things, please like, tell me that I'm saying something stupid and push me back on that. The thing is with me that, look, when I'm on TV, I'm not talking as a child, I'm pushing policy. Right, and I expect there to be pushback. I don't think you can say whatever, whatever you want. Like I, and in addition, I think that having debate is great. So like, I loved, I loved going on Piers Morgan and having a debate with him. Mm -hmm. That was great. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to, I, I hate this thing where like, where, where one second you're spouting policy, but then you rush back to the, the shield of, oh, I'm a child, but we have to take my opinion seriously because the second I say it, I'm an adult. Yeah. So just, just this, isn't, this isn't fair. Yeah. And what I saw, I think one of the reasons why um, I grew to such publicity was because I was saying the things that adults weren't able to say. Like I was able to say things that Ben Shapiro or you or Charlie Kirk or the right wasn't able to say because I'm a kid. And I don't think that's fair because I think that when you're spouting policy, you are no longer a child, you are an adult. What do you make of what's going on with the right generally? Because you ran the turning point, was that the high school event that I did? Or yes. Did, I've done so many of these High school things leadership now. summit. You, okay, so you did the high school leadership summit in DC and I, I spoke there, this is a couple months ago, and you had a great lineup of speakers and Peter Thank Thiel you. was there and, and you had big, big time politicians. Yeah, we, and, and first off, I mean, that was the first time we met and I was like, holy. Yeah, we had a debate kid. about abortion. Yeah, we, right, <laughs> okay, so that's, abortion. That exactly. was great. so that's my point. So first off, you, you, you ran this whole thing. I mean, you're, you're, you're still in high school, right? We're gonna talk a little bit about where you wanna go to college and all that, but you ran an incredible event with major primetime people, and, and it was, it was jam-packed, and it was uh, diverse in terms of ideas. So we get into a private debate about abortion, <laughs> but you brought me there, uh, yeah, you and, were great. and I went up there, thanks, but I, I went up there and I talked about my differences with this group. I talked about... And gay, the kids were respectful. Yeah, and I talked about gay marriage and abortion and death penalty and a couple other things that generally these young conservatives are not for. I think gay marriage, they're pretty much for. I, I yeah, sense that, yeah. that the ship has sailed on that one. Actually, I'm pretty sure I got a huge ovation on that Yeah, line. I think you did. Um, but it is just clear to me that there has been a realignment on the right where there is exactly what you're talking so about here, a respect of ideas. Yeah. Can we just say that Lindsey Graham 2.0 is fantastic? No, the guy, it's unbelievable. That, I mean, just that one, <laughs> the, the thing with the tie the Benny's other day. Benny's great. Yeah, yeah Benny's doing so great So here's work. the thing, I Benny think the Johnson right is finally- He's that daily caller, right? Yes. Yeah. So I think the right is finally realizing that youth, um, like energizing the youth and instilling the next like future of conservative leaders is extremely important. And we saw that with the High School Leadership Summit. We had some of the biggest name speakers. We had like Nikki Haley, we had Betsy DeVos, we had like uh, attorney Jeff Sessions, uh, we had so many people. Um, and every, and we, we had Mark Meadows, we had Steve Scalise, we had, we had, we had Prager, we had you. <laughs> um, and it was just, it was fantastic to see the right just understand that these are the leaders of tomorrow. Let's inform them. But in addition, Turning Point is such a great organization. It's free speech, free markets, and, and capitalism. Those are the three legs. Uh, and what we saw with Turning Point is such a, it's such a great organization because we, were, we brought people who I have disagreements with to speak there. Mark Cuban spoke, got a couple standing ovations, had a debate with Charlie, mm -hmm. and people loved it. So we're all open having free discussion and debate. Like, we're, we're, we're working on Sasser Student Action Summit, December 19th, 22nd, shameless yep. plug. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll be um, there. And we're, we're looking, like, how can we get 
the most diverse group of people to speak. Like, I'm thinking about something from the intellectual dark web to speak there. I think yeah. it's great if we can get Alan Dershowitz. Just how can we get diversity of thought? So why is it that this new right, or whatever you want to call it, young conservative group, whatever it is, why is it that you guys are able to do this? And I see virtually none of this on your counterparts on the left. That's not true. I mean, the left has organized and mobilized the youth. Just right now, we are... In well, I mean, no, 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 but I'm talking about diversity of thought. Like, where are they because bringing they're, in they're people so that they even mildly disagree with? I'm not talking about scary conservatives. I'm talking about old-school liberals. Where, where are they inviting them to just have an interesting conversation? The left is so dead set on political correctness and saying everything to not offend anyone with the slightest micro, micro, microaggression that it's just, you can't live in that world. And, and, tol and like, logical liberals like yourself, are moving to the right because <laughs> I like these, of that. these subtle little injections <laughs> of pleasantry. Yeah, it's nice. Are moving people to the right. And conservatives are like, come here, my refugees, my political refugees, we're embracing you. Yeah. So, okay, so when I hear people will say, Ruben, the conservatives are just using you. You go to Turning Point, they're just using you. You're not just using me, Kyle. No. I mean, yeah, but no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, I mean, what I've seen is intellectual flexibility yeah. there, and it's even when I've had Ben in here and we've t done this conversation repeatedly about, now about gay marriage, I just firmly believe that as time goes on, I can shift him. I, there's something that's sort of insulting about it to me when people say that to me because I'm confident, I'm confident enough in, in my thoughts. I think he's going to take you on abortion. I really think that like in a few years, you'll be with us on abortion. May, maybe, that's but okay. you know what? That would be a trade-off, right? Like if, if, if ultimately, I always describe myself as begrudgingly no, I think Ben's interpretation of of homosexuality. While I don't, I don't, I don't have like a strong opinion on it because I haven't thought about it enough. By his religious standpoint, it makes sense. But from the government standpoints, it also makes total sense. Well, that's why I'm completely fine with him. It's like you want to have your religious view. I have to respect that. But if you were trying to legislate my life, no, now absolutely, I have a problem. yeah. The and great thing with the right is that we're open to just diversity of thought. Just say whatever you want. Let's talk about it and let's get to the right rational viewpoint like I've, I've always been about debate because it brings people it, it's all about logic and it brings people to the right end result so when i'm on tour with peterson uh w the question that i think both of us get asked more than anything else is what are the best techniques to wake people up out of this sort of postmodern identity politics progressive groupthink as a young person in the midst of this, have, what would you say are some techniques you've been able to use? Because it can't just be about drubbing them with facts, right? Well, I mean, the There's, left is doing a fantastic job with their just craziness, pushing people yeah. to the right. Like, so it's just doing, sort of stands they're still. They're doing it on themselves. Um, what, what we saw right now with Kanye in, in addition, it's just, he was simply saying, freedom of expression, freedom of thought, I support the president, our president has to be the freshest, the flyest, that was, <laughs> that was the greatest line. Um, just pushing people to diversity of thought and, and freedom of expression to think whatever you want. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't be held down by your skin color or, or, or your race or, you know, your sexuality. Like, none of this matters. You should be able to think what you want and be able to say it without being tied down by, you know, your identity. Yeah, how do you make sure that you don't get burned out? Because I think I remember the first communication we ever had, I think when either you followed me or I followed you on Twitter, I just sent you a quick one-line note and I was just like, just don't get burned out. Because I saw you just, you were in the fight every day, you were, you were owning, owning the libs and all that. Which by the way, you know, you mentioned that Nikki Haley was at your summit. Yeah, she it's said like not she to. Went, she went to, to, you know, in effect what is a, a, a lot of Trump people right, at this, at this event you put on, she goes there and she says, you know, don't make this about just owning the libs. Yeah. And she got applause for it, and I, I hit that same point, I think, the next day, because I think if you guys do exactly what you just laid out, just kind of stand there and be cool and be decent, you'll, you will welcome yeah, a lot of Yeah, decency wins. I think, I honestly believe that decency wins. Can we just take a second to say that yeah. Nikki Haley is fantastic, and I, I, yeah. I, I kind of cried for like a week <laughs> ever since she said that. Well, do you think that this is perhaps uh, paving the road for her running at some point? I don't know. There's so many 40 chess like theories. I just know. I just I know that she's just been doing a fantastic job. Yeah, and she's just one of the best. I know Nikki Haley, Ben Shapiro, twenty twenty four. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably have to be press secretary at that point. Uh, yeah, that see. would work for like one horrific week, and then I. No, that'd be I'd, fine. I'd, you should do. <laughs> no, but all right. So give me give me some of the techniques when you see that it can't just be about standing still and and facts. Yeah. If you're if you're in a uh, conversation with a young person mm -hmm. that's really just bought into all of this, 
What, what are some of the techniques you use so to, the to wake? Thing, have you been successful? I, I suspect that you and have. Sometimes, yeah, I think I have. But the first thing you have to realize is that is this person looking to have an open discussion and actually wants, sorry about that. Talking a lot these days, it's all right. I know it's too much. <clears throat> or, or actually wants to develop their point of view. If they do, you have to treat it with decency and respect and not call them an idiot or something. You have to treat them like a, like a good human being should. Um, and then just have a rational conversation with them and see where they're coming from. Uh, and a lot of times I, I can immediately know what they're going to respond to me. Like just straight off the bat, I know what they're going to respond to me and, yeah. and I hit them with, with an initial, here's what you're going to say, here's yeah. the reason. And they're just shocked. Yeah. But then do you get them around? I mean, do, do you find, because it really, it's like sort of deprogramming somebody out of this. And yeah. I've, I've had some success at it, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them happened. watch my show now, so. Yeah, I mean, when I first started speaking out, kids would come up to me in school and two things they would say. Be like, Kyle, I'm a conservative. So, so the thing about school was really interesting. I would get stare downs and like people would like, like try to beat me up. So people would like send me like, hey, Kyle, watch out. So-and-so is trying to beat you up. I was like, all right, man, go for it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and people would give me stare downs and there was such a villainization of being conservative and being a Second Amendment supporter. When I spoke up, I kind of opened the crack for people to say, oh, I agree with him. People would walk up to me and like hush up, like, Kyle, thank you so much for doing. I'm just scared to speak out. And in addition, people would say, Kyle, I thought I was pro-gun control and you spoke and I listened to you and then I did some more research and I agree with you. So that was great to see. And like, that's just, that's all I'm here for. So yeah. like, to have people, you know, understand conservatism and understand the Second Amendment. It's got to be pretty weird that you guys are still in high school, right? Like yeah. now you're, you're celebrities in the most strange sense of celebrity you are. And you're all still in high school together. What is that like? I mean, at the end of the day, we have to remember that we're kids. And I, I will explain it so, so you guys don't think I'm hypocritical. Um, when you're on TV and you're spouting politics, you're an adult. But in your private life, you're a kid. And we cannot forget that. So let's say, you know, when someone some kid on the left does something that's stupid, it's, at the end of the day, they're a kid, and we have to address it as such. Um, but but it's, it's been a crazy whirlwind, and I think, thank God, I found a solid group of people who want the best for me that I can reach out, you know, just not for policy, but also, like, personal advice. Like, I, I, uh, I asked Ben, hey, how do you think I should approach College App since I'm conservative, you know, and he helped me out. And it's just, it's so great to be able to reach out to people and have them, you know, give you advice from like, look, 20 years older than me and give me that advice that they had to go through. Yeah, what was that great tweet? So you're like number one in your class, right? Not like number one, you are number one in your class, yeah, is yeah, that yeah, correct? There yeah. was some tweet that you had about Dude, that. That was, that was you, awesome. Yeah, what, what was that? You so were ruining I, I somebody, right? I was ranked number one. Yeah. Um, and people got so angry, because <laughs> so angry. And they're like, we're going to boycott graduation. So I was like, yay, more cake. <laughs> it was great. Oh, it was great. And then, you know, the, the next semester. But wait, what was the reason they wanted to boycott graduation? Because I was number one. Right, 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 right. And so then the semester updated, and then I was still number one. So I posted another tweet about that, and that also blew up. And I was like, we're going to get Ben Shapiro to come. Dana Lash is going to come. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be fantastic. Chris Cox was like, yeah, I'm going to be there. <laughs> But great. why would they want, I mean, is that really how sort of polarizingly crazy this has gotten yes. at, a, at a high school level? That just because they don't like, I mean, you're, you're number one, not by, by it being ordained no. onto you. You're number one out of clearly a lot of hard work and smarts and all that. Yeah. You'd think that there would be certain respect for that <laughs> in some alternate it, it's universe. Sad that, it's sad that it, we, ha we are no longer able to be friends with people. Like, it's sad that people on the left think so people on the left think that you're a Republican, therefore you're evil. And that's sad that you're not allowed to, to be friends with people who have different political viewpoints than you. Like my best friend is a liberal. And I actually brought him to the Turning Point event. And after he was like, you know what, Kyle, some, uh, some people made some good points. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I told you. Yeah. But he's still a liberal. He's an old but school liberal. That's cool. He's probably a... We're getting there, you and him both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so wait, let's talk a little bit about college. Okay. So you're, you're doing a great job in high school. Clearly now you've got a public profile. Grades are great. Seemingly you could get in to wherever you want to go. It's and, not true. And do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you really think that that'll play a role in, in the schools that you're able to get into? Yeah, absolutely. It's sad to say, but, but there is a bias against conservatives, especially like the top tier schools. Like right now I'm looking to apply to Ivy's. It'll be great to get into Harvard or, or Columbia. 
Um, I really think... Uh, Man, you'd be the reckoning of those places. I really... Yeah, it'd be awesome. I really think that... It, <laughs> I think it's really important to be accredited. Um, you know, I might, I've been thinking about Georgetown or GW to work on the Hill. I think that's great. Um, but, you know, like, I, really, I really don't know what's next for me. I really don't know. It's go, go to college. I'm definitely going to stay with Turning Point. It's a great organization. I'm still going to be conservative. Don't worry. I'm not going to change. <laughs> I don't say, not change generally, it. people don't go the other way, right? You're not going to suddenly grow up and be like, no, nah, no, nah, facts, no, 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 no. I'll go to the feelings things. That, that usually doesn't that happen. That won't happen. Yeah. But all right, so you want to go to school. But you re- so you really do think that your, your politics could affect, I guess, you know, they don't. Well, what happened with David Hogg, right? He didn't get into to all, I don't know what his grades are, but like he didn't get into a whole bunch of schools, right? I mean, there have been rumors that he got into Harvard and Northeastern. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you want to study? you have any idea? It's either business or law. I really don't know yet. I just, you know, I, I've always liked, liked business, and I think law is just absolutely phenomenal. really don't know yet. Uh, but, you know, it, it's going to be great to be on a college campus where, you know, everyone is just really liberal. That'll be fun. <laughs> it's sort of weird, and I guess this shows a little bit about the way the college experience is, is going, but in a bizarre way, just knowing you from the little bit that I know you, it's like, in a way, it's almost like you don't have to go to college. Like I'm you, definitely you, going to college. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm not saying you shouldn't, and I think there's all sorts of social reasons that somebody should go, and you can, you know, you learn in all sorts of other ways that aren't necessarily academic, but it's like, clearly, you've got the academic thing down and can keep learning that way, so it's, you know, it's bizarre that people spend, you know, 20 grand a year to go to college when... No, it is. I you mean, know, the sad thing is... With you're surrounded by a lot of great minds, is what I'm saying. Thing, and, I'm and, with and, you, but the, the issue with college is that you're basically paying to get yourself brainwashed with stupidity. And that's the sad part, because there are actual, like, great things to learn in college, just not, like, lesbian dance theory. Like, Ben yeah. says that a lot. <laughs> just some of these classes are just useless. And, you know, and just it's just straight-up, complete stupidity, a lot of the stuff that they're teaching there. So what do you make of how this seems to be a through-line through education... And I mean, high school education, college education, clearly, the media, like all of the sort of brainwashing stuff that you're talking about, it's always going against people like you. And I see you on Twitter. You, you take down CNN all the time. You take down mainstream Dude, media all the so time. Fun. People know my thoughts on this. It's like, I just wish, like, to me, if these Can we just address that Twitter, just Twitter's for fun? We have to stop well, taking Twitter so seriously. Yeah, so what's like, your what, bio, yeah. your bio is perfect. Twitter's yeah. not real life. It's not real life, but pe- But the weird thing about that is it's starting to leak into real life. I, I did a direct message, like, a year and a half ago or so about how online culture is becoming mainstream culture, and I think that that really is what's happening here. Twitter's not real life, but it's starting to, like, leak out into everyone's conversations. Fox News and CNN and MSNBC are basically Trump's Twitter. Like, Twitter yeah. is, like, you know, like, have you seen shows where they basically read random replies to messages? It's like, John Smith 3.74 responds <laughs> to this like that. And it's yeah. just so stupid. But the biggest thing that we're seeing right now is, is a cultural shift with the youth. Like, memes, I'm saying memes have so much power in memes our day matter. age. Memes won a lot. Memes helped so much for the Trump's 2016 campaign. Yeah. With, it really did. Um, and social media has a huge influence on our beliefs and our actions. And that's why it is so scary to see censorship of conservatives online because that is basically like, Twitter is basically the new version of you just like yelling into a crowd. Yeah. And that's basically like, the main form of everyone's communication and shutting that down is like heavily restricting you know i haven't developed my full opinion on this but it seems as such restricting this restricts your like really restricts your first amendment right yeah so this is the whole issue about whether they're publishers or platforms yeah the big issue is i don't know if if i'm saying this right but i think one of the things is if there are certain if there or if they're a publisher then then like they have a lot of legal liability if they're a platform then everyone should say whatever they want but that's not the case so it's like pick one yeah and they're just completely censoring uh Conservatives, like I know PragerU gets like their videos demonetized so much. And have your videos gotten demonetized? They probably yeah. Have. I, well, I, now now it's gotten a little bit better, but our videos just don't go out to feeds anymore. I went on that crazy yeah. They don't have algorithms. Saw, yeah, that crazy rampage I went on where I just started retweeting real people. I only did it with real people with real names saying they've been unsubscribed and they're getting hundreds and sometimes thousands of retweets. And I'm tagging YouTube and they just ignore me. Yeah, and it's like. 
Come on, guys. You, yeah, I mean, you YouTube, play this YouTube game a Google, Facebook, and Twitter all have proven biases. Proven. Yeah. How worried are... Uh, well, so it's so interesting to me because you, you never... You didn't grow up in a time when there was some sort of trustworthy seemingly trustworthy level of the media. Like CNN was not always this. The reason, I don't even know if you know this, but the, the reason I think that so many people like me that are older than you attack CNN the most is because CNN used to be decent. Like MSNBC is saying we lean left. Yeah, CNN Fox says they're unbiased. We, yeah, and CNN's saying that, and it's like, no, you're not. We, we know yeah, exactly you. what you're doing. And that's why I always attack CNN, because it's like, you guys have actually become the worst in the name yeah, the, of Yeah, have you seen, like, the ratings are like, oh, oh, you, you saw, saw the new ratings? Yeah. All of them are like the lowest. It's like a block of red CNN. Yeah. So here's what I think. I think that a lot of young people and, like, may, and average Americans do not trust the media anymore, and they have sought out individuals instead. So they trust individuals. So they look to you, they look to Ben, they, they look to Guy Benson, you know, Charlie Kirk, for, for their news because they trust the individual. Right? Do, do you see a, a great risk in that too? Because I'm worried about that. No, at some I level. also, but, but the thing is with that is that you have absolute liability for what you say. You know, CNN can, can like come whip something up, or, you know, but when, when an individual like tweets something, it's on like, they're responsible for their actions. Yeah. So one of the things I've been saying lately is that I'm actually in a bizarre way less interested in politics now than I've ever been, but I'm interested in what you referenced a little while ago, this culture thing. I mean, culture, what is it? Culture's, politics is downstream yeah. from culture. Yeah. And that's so true. Yeah, so do you see that really as, as sort of the future of all this, that it's not gonna be about all of the little machinations of politics, it's just gonna be about, I mean, this, I guess this is the strength of Trump. Well, well you'd argue it's either the strength or the, the, the worst part of Trump, I suppose. That he's, a, cult, that he's, that he's like, a cultural thing, not necessarily a political thing. No, I mean, there, there are pros and cons to that, but we just, we have to play by the rules that are set by society, and these are the rules. These are the rules that culture has a massive impact on society, and whether I like it or not, that Kanye, is uh, well, Kanye speaking out? First of all, I think it's great that he's speaking out. It's his First Amendment right. I don't think we should be propping up opinions by celebrities simply because they're famous. You have to show that you are informed on the subject, and that's that. But it doesn't take a political genius to say that I believe in our Second Amendment and our First Amendment. That doesn't take, but Taylor Swift doing like a, a <laughs> 7,000 page right. essay, you know, that makes absolutely no sense and contradicts itself, written by like a liberal, you know, uh, worker on the hill. That's. Yeah. I was disappointed in that just because I have no particular feelings about her. One. I don't another. care. I honestly I'm don't not know a fan that of I could mention. One, I don't think I could name one song or whatever. But it's just like the fact that she stayed out of politics. I liked. I was like, oh, whatever she's doing or whatever her handlers are saying to her, I kind of like it. And then she got in on this, and it's like I don't care which way she was going to break. I was just like, ah, we just this is not what we need. Yeah, I mean the Taylor Swift effect. President is like down. Marsha Blackburn right. is up, so thanks Taylor Swift. Yeah. No, but, but what we saw right now by the left is that they are losing their stranglehold on culture. And that is very frightening for them. And we saw that with Kanye, when Kanye started speaking out, I gave my speech about this, and they started off with mob tactics. That didn't work. Uh, emotional appeal, the TMZ guy was basically begging him, like, Kanye, please, man, take take off your hat, man. It hurts me emotionally. Yeah. He's like, no, it's my first amendment right. I'm not taking it off. And then we saw um, just blatant racism yeah. and vile character assassinations. And that, he's still you saw not, that CNN he, segment. It was disgusting. He yeah. wouldn't, that, that, that is, how does that fly? He wouldn't bow down to the mob. Absolutely wouldn't. But, but well, they're losing their stranglehold on culture. And whether I like that we are putting so much emphasis on a cultural icon, those are the rules. Them the rules. Like that's, they say that on Twitter a lot. Them yeah, the yeah. rules. Um, but this is this is this is the reality that we're living in, and we have to understand that. And what's happening with Kanye is a real shift, especially for for African Americans and people who are like in Latinos. They're basically saying, I don't know why this is controversial. Blacks don't have to be Democrats. You don't own me. That's yeah, all they're saying. Basically, that's all he's saying, and he has created such a, like a pivotal moment that says you you're, you don't your stranglehold doesn't affect me because I know in Hollywood, like the second you say something, like I remember someone said Ben Shapiro's a nice guy. His career was destroyed. Yeah, Mark Duplass, who's a friend of mine, Jeez. who's been on this show, and he had to issue an apology, and it's like. 
you know, oddly, what all, is the, the, world all the IDW people, people came to his defense at first, they basically saying, you know, you should be allowed to say that. Yeah. And, then, and then, unfortunately, he issued and, that and black And black, especially young blacks, are saying, look, they look up to Kanye West. They, millions look up to him. And they say, this individual, why does this individual think this way? And even more so, he didn't bow down to the mob, which is fantastic. And we're seeing like a real shift. I don't know, the 38% number were 38% African-American approval of Trump. I don't know if that's necessarily true. All I know is that there was a 3% jump from, there was, in August, the black approval rating of Trump was 3%. One of the la latest polls that I know, a month or so ago, was 10%. Mm -hmm. So there's a big jump. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing that so many young African-Americans are so energized. Like I know Turning Point is doing a black leadership summit in like a week in the White House. Mm -hmm. We're gonna get, uh, just 400 African-American young individuals to be able to speak there, to, to be able to listen and to see that the left is losing their stranglehold on culture and it is scary for them because that is the one thing that they have left. All right, I got two more for you. All right. You, are you in the prediction game at all? What do you think is gonna happen in these midterms we've got coming up? So what I've been hearing is that Republicans are gonna lose in the House and gain in the Senate. Uh, I love how Ocasio-Cortez is like, we're going to win back the executive these midterms. <laughs> I was like, two more years. She's but, uh, very confused about a lot You're of close. Yeah. Uh, but look, the Kavanaugh effect is real. Yeah. Like, this was like, the, all the left had to do was sit down, be quiet, be civil, play nice. They're like, no, no, this is, we're not going to allow this, okay? And they hit themselves in the foot with the club, and then they started crying. And they did, th did the same thing with Kanye, and that was great. So the Kavanaugh really amped up and energized the conservative base, and even more so, it finally gave the conservative, like the conservatives, a backbone, like Lindsey yeah. Graham, Lindsey Graham 2.0. Yeah, where has this guy been? Yeah, I love it. And like Bill Cassidy, but but here's the, here's the interesting thing. Women were the most angered by all of this. Before Kavanaugh in August, it was like a 35.7 percent approval of Trump. After it was a 40.7, and before in August, um, Democrats had a 12 point lead over Republicans in a voter enthusiasm. Now it's 64% Republicans, 65 Democrats. So we are neck and neck in this, and it's all thanks to the Democrats. Yeah, I mean, my gut, as long as you're doing predictions here, I actually think the Republicans are gonna do well in both the House and the Senate. I really hope so, I um, really hope But I so. do think so, because I agree. I think this mob mentality and watching these videos of Antifa in Portland and Hillary saying we can't be civil and Eric Holder saying when they go, we low, go low, we kick we them. Kick them. And it's like, man, if you stand for due process and civil society and all of those things, that thing needs to burn. It, it kind of sucks, but it's like that, that set of ideas. The left thinks, the, the, the left just completely disregards the Constitution. The Constitution was written, and, and f like the amendment, the Bill of Rights was forced by anti-federalists to make sure that the government could not become tyrannical and abuse its power. And this is so important, it's protecting the rights of the individuals, and these rights, why, why do we not all agree on them? Why is it wrong to believe in due process? Why is it wrong to say, I believe that individuals should have the right to defend themselves and also defend against the tyranny of a possible government. Like the Second Amendment was basically written because the founders had just fought against Great Britain and they had seen how a tyrannical government quickly becomes. So one more thing I didn't note, the first thing tyrannical governments do is they take away the weapons of the civilians. We saw this in Nazi Germany, we saw this in, uh, in China, we saw this in, in Cambodia, that's the first thing they do. Uh, and the individual right to bear arms is, is, is every individual, it's not related to the militia clause. So it's basically saying every individual has the right to protect themselves and even more so, it's, it's necessary for the protection of a free state. All right, one more for you. Hit you me said you it. don't play video games as much no, anymore because you don't have time. What I do don't. you do for fun, man? What's fun? <laughs> I used to Besides play. Twitter, you can't just tell me Twitter. I know you're having Twitter fun on fun. Twitter, but it can't just be Twitter. What are you doing for fun? So with me, I used to play a lot of video games. Yeah, like what I kind of used, games are you used playing? To, so here's, here's my progression. I haven't said this, but this is like a scoop. I used All to right, play World of Tanks. Okay. And then moved to... to, to uh, Rocket League, okay, it sucks. It's a terrible game. It's boring. Then it moved to, so I played Overwatch, I played Paladins, I played PUBG, and then I played Fortnite. And Fortnite, this was when all the shooting occurred, and I just stopped dead in my tracks. Because it was just, it's a waste of time. And I see my younger brothers who are addicted to the game, and it's just sad to see that this is the state of our youth, that they're just completely addicted to technology. Like, I'm certain if I have kids, 
okay, they're not saying a phone till they're 12. You know what they do is to call me or 911. That's it. No video games. You're reading a book. I don't care. So what do you do for fun? You just, I, you told me what you used to do for oh, okay. fun. Come on, you must be having fun somewhere. You're having fun sometimes. Wow, I got you. Yeah, man. You okay. did. No, but you're, you are having fun with this. I so yeah, see. I have I, I some, some of the re remaining friends that I have, uh, which are really solid friends. You know, on weekends we hang out. Uh, we go watch movies and stuff like that. In addition, I, I just think it's great. One of the greatest things for me for having fun is just simply talking to like-minded kids, like young individuals at these Turning Point events that we run, and it's great. And like meeting with and pushing policy and stuff like that, it's just fantastic. Like one of the greatest feelings ever was like passing the Stop School Violence Act and Fix Nix. Like the Stop School Violence Act um, appropriated funds, $2 billion in funds, um, for the protection of schools, like hardening schools, metal detectors, uh, making better communication between law enforcement, training law enforcement, teachers and students. And in addition, there was a clause that said, none of this money will be used for firearm or firearm trainings. So this was like the greatest win for the left, uh -huh. and they still hated the bill. <laughs> and like the March for Life kids hated it. But no, I mean, I'm really dead set on making sure that school shootings just are a thing of the past. They never happen again. Uh, you, and you love what you do, man. Yeah, man. It's and obvious. Just, and just like just learning about the Second Amendment and just like being more knowledgeable and having these debates and discussions are just like they really make my day. Yeah. Well, I think it goes without saying. I mean, I think you have an absurdly bright future. In Thank front you. Of you. Like, you gonna run for president or something? Probably not. But no, no, I mean, <laughs> But you left a little window. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I little window. Maybe there's a thing um, for politics and like the hill in the future. Right now, I'm just dead set, going to college, getting my degree, learning, uh, staying in the political sphere. But, uh, you know, who knows? I'm See, definitely supporting Nikki Haley Shapiro 2024, though. <laughs> All right. You see, people, there is hope for the future. For more on Kyle, follow him on Twitter at Kyle Kashuv.